Well, what an honor and a privilege it is to, to be able to uh, share with you this morning just some uh, things that, that God has laid on my heart. I, I, I do not approach this moment lightly, and uh, I'm excited and terrified and everything else to share with you what God has laid on my heart this morning. But uh, I thank you that, you that you're here today, that you've uh, already experienced uh, incredible worship, that you've already encouraged uh, some of our students uh, that now are sitting with their families to, to, to take the next steps that they're going to take, uh, not only in uh, schooling, but hopefully take the next steps in their relationship with God. Um, say this, see if it resonates with you. It is the end of the world as we know it. Now, some of you are going, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. But if you just immediately started thinking about a 1987 song by R.E.M., you're my people, okay? I'm just going to tell you. You were raised in the best decade ever in the 80s. But in 1987, R.E.M. released this song called It's, it's the End of the World as We Know It. And uh, in, the, in the verses, I mean, it just sounds like a ramble on of no rhyming words for no reason whatsoever. But he basically is just, uh, he's despairing about politics and lies and wars and economics and drugs and leaders and hate and natural disasters, fears and selflessness and religion. And then the chorus comes in and resounds. It's the end of the world as we know it. And so in 1987, Michael Stipe thought that that was that was his heart that he just that looks around, the, looks around the world and sees that, that it seems like there's no hope that there's no answers, like what's going to happen next. And uh, almost 40 years later, I believe 2023, watch us. Oh, just, you just thought it was the end of the world. How about this? How about uh, social media theology and anxiety and depression and anger and fear and pornography and substance abuse and cell phone addictions and de deconstruction of the church and family issues and gender confusion and doubts and, and, and uh, struggles with self-worth if 1987 felt like it was the end of the world, well, then I believe that in probably 2023, many of us in our hearts think, oh, it is the end of the world as we know it. But even talking about all of that, and each one could be a message on its own, I don't believe we've addressed the worst thing about what's going on in our world today. And I'm not even sure that you want me to tell you what the worst thing going in our world today is because if I stand up here and, and, and share with you what I believe is the worst thing going on, and then we look at God's truth about what he says about the worst thing that's going on in, in the world today, then you're accountable. And I'm accountable. Because we hear God's word and it requires action on our part. It, we hear God's word and it requires us to move towards him. Uh, Paul said this, in Philippians chapter three, verse 16, where he said, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Think about what he said in, in Philippians, that letter to the church in Philippi. I mean, in, in Philippians 1, 6, he says, hey, he who began a good work in you shall carry it on in completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You've attained that truth, now let's live up to it. Or better yet, in, in Philippians chapter two, he says, hey, you should have the mind of Christ. Well, what's that look like? And he describes what Christ's mind looked like to, to humble himself, to become a servant, become nothing and put on flesh and to humble himself to the point of death, not just any death, but death on a cross. And then he says, we should live up to whatever truth 
we've attained. And he continues on in that letter. So today we're going to share truth. And we, my hope is that all of us will want to, to say amen to yes. We'll, we'll lean into that truth. More than that, we'll adjust our lives to that truth. We will live out the truth that we learned today because I believe that the worst thing happening today is this. If you want to know what students believe, all you have to do is ask them. And so a few weeks back, we, uh, we did just that. Um, I asked our, our group of, of students. We run anywhere from 40 to 50 students on a Sunday and a Wednesday. And uh, one Sunday morning, we just asked them a very simple question. We said, hey, what is it that makes your parents the happiest? And you can imagine the responses. So I went ahead and I said, well, before you write anything down, let's clarify that. What is it about who you are and what you do that makes your parents the happiest? And so we're talking to a group of, of church and Christian uh, students. We are in the setting of a church. We are about to head from that environment into a small group environment where we're going to study God's word together. And so that's kind of the context that we ask this question in. And so I'll, I'll, I'm glad to share with you that the number one answer was Jesus. Wait, I said that wrong. The number one answer on the very first card was Jesus. When we look through all the other cards and flip through all the different things, the top three responses to the question, you know, students, what is it that you do that makes your parents happiest was this. Good grades, do chores, get along with your siblings. All right, that's it. Top three things, good grades, do chores, get along with siblings. One line on one card said Jesus. Not a single mention after that of God, Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, prayer, serving and loving others, the gospel, or the church. And the sad thing is, if I'd have polled my kids, they'd have said the exact same things. Good grades, do my chores, get along with my brother and sister. I think the worst thing, when we think about, is this the end of the world? The worst thing is that we not just parents, not relatives, the church. We are raising the next generation to believe that the wrong things matter most. Because here's the deal. If your student checks all the boxes and has a 4.0 and their room, you could eat off the floor, they clean the toilet, the kitchen, the bathroom, everything else, and they didn't you know, have a fight with their brother and sister that week, they could do all those things and still spend eternity separated from God in hell. If they think that is the things that matters most to us, then we're raising a generation that thinks the wrong things matter most. How did we get here? I mean, I think if I look at my life, this is maybe how, you know, it, it would play out in my life. We come on Sunday mornings and experience this. We experience Brother Jeff's teaching, have worship, and it's great. It's refreshing. But then we go Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and not so much as think about what was talked about Sunday or praying with our family or opening God's word. And we come back in on Sunday morning and it's like... <laughs> Ooh, that smells like death. 
ugh. What are we going to do about that? It's Sunday morning. Oh, I know. We'll get Brother Jeff to tell us something else about God. Oh, thank goodness for Brother Jeff. Because I don't know what we do. That's good. That's much better. And then we don't think about it again. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Or maybe it's this. You know, it's real easy to let everything that happens Monday through Saturday just to, it's just a lot. And it's real easy to just, just get overwhelmed by it. And when you come in here on Sunday morning, you're like, I need God in my life. But you come at him with this and you're like, I know he's here somewhere. Hold on. I know he's got to be. So we're going to get way down here. and We're gonna like, OK, God, I know you have a message for me today. Let me find I, you've got your maybe you're hiding in the cracks in the crevices of the church. So let me see. Are you in there somewhere? I need to hear from you, God. When instead. We're like pull like a telescope out the biggest one you could find. And you just aim it at the universe. And you can see some, but you know you're not seeing it all. I mean, you can look in the largest telescope known to man and search out the deepest star in space you possibly can and know what's beyond that is beyond that. And it keeps going and going. And that is the God that we've come in here today and say, hey, me and you, so will I. Whatever you do, I'm with you. That's the God we're going, I need you to see a victory in my life and it's only gonna become a reality with that God. And so this morning, we wanna look at a passage of scripture that I believe that Paul kind of blows up our vision of who God is. And it's found in Romans chapter 11, if you wanna follow along with us today. I'm not as tech savvy, so you don't have verses on the screen. So you have to look at your Bible, your phone. Romans chapter 11. And in this Closing out chapter, he is uh, going to hopefully help us to see God a little bigger, to experience God a little greater, to help us to see the thing that matters most above all things. And then we'll look at, as a church, how we can encourage the next generation to wrap their lives around those things. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 32. Romans chapter 11, verse 32. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he could have mercy on everyone. He says there that, hey, everyone, that's a, raise your hand if you're an everyone, that's all of us, everyone in the room. He says everyone has been imprisoned by disobedience. That means that, that you and I willfully chose to sin, willfully chose to disobey the God of the universe. We willfully chose to be selfish in our ways, do what we want, accomplish the things that we think are most important to ourselves, regardless if it lines up with God's word or not. And he says that sin and that selfishness has imprisoned us. Romans 3.23, just a few you know, chapters earlier, he said, hey, all of you, every one of us have sinned. And you fall short of what matters most. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
that God is all about his glory and you want him to be all about his glory because he's the only one worthy of it. And he says, you've been imprisoned. Disobedience by sin. Why? So that he could show, so that he could have mercy on everyone. Mercy is simply God giving you what you do not deserve. You do not want what you deserve, but God wants to give you what you do not deserve. Uh, you can't earn it. You can't attain it on your own. There's nothing you can do to, to receive it. It is a gift of God. And he says that he has made it available to everyone. And that everyone is everyone who believes. Where do they believe? That Jesus is God's one and only son. That Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life. That Jesus gave that life on a cross for your disobedience that you're imprisoned in, for the sin that you're imprisoned in. And he died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again so that you and I could have new life in him. That's mercy. That's an opportunity to experience what heaven's all about through a savior that gave his life for your sins, but for God's glory. He continues on in, in the next verse there. And then he starts this doxology. I mean, just singing about the greatness and the fullness of who God is. And we want to walk through that this morning. And hopefully it will, again, expand our vision of who God is and have some answers for the next generation. It simply says in, in verse 33, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. So when we read those words, we could say a lot of things about the riches of God's wisdom and his greatness and his knowledge. But we need to look at these words in light of what was just said. Hey, you're imprisoned so that God could show you mercy. Only God could conceive a plan that a rebel race would deserve anything from him. And he willfully gives us his love, willfully has a plan for our lives, willfully gave his son so that we might have a growing relationship with him. Not only that, he makes us sons and daughters of God. He makes us co-heirs with Christ. I mean, we could go on and on about who we are in Christ as a result of what God has done because of his mercy towards us. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. He continues on, he says, how impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways? In verse 34, he says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? In different translations of scripture, the words that are used there are words like impossible, unsearchable, untraceable, all those used to, to describe God's thoughts. Isaiah also shared the same sentiment that Paul wrote about 
In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, he says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And then Isaiah 40, 13 and 14, he wrote, Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? And Paul would say, no. No one knows the thoughts of the Lord. No one can give him advice. God's thoughts are that his glory is to become a part of our story. The glory is not ours. It's, it's our life to reflect his glory. And that thought is so beyond anything else you'll ever hear talked about in culture or in school or in workplace or anywhere else. Nobody's going to say that your story should be leveraged for anything else other than for you. But God says that his glory, is, it's, a, it's your story. It's who you are. It's what you were designed for, to reflect his glory. And the thing is, God has the final say. And you should be glad about that because your greatest joy, your greatest hope, your greatest peace come from a life that are surrounded and focused on what God says matters most. Much of the anxiety and, and depression and the things that are surrounded the people in the room and in the world it's because they've focused lives on things that don't matter most. When we get God at the center of all that's going on in our lives, it helps us to experience more joy, more hope, and leads to more peace. And Paul just continues on. He said he's great in riches, wisdom, and knowledge. It's impossible to understand him. His decisions, his ways, his thoughts, nobody's gonna give him advice. And then verse 35, he says, Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? I wrote down that God is a debtor to no one. However, have you ever played this game with God? Let's make a deal. Like, hey God, okay, so I read your word last week. I know, I know you saw me in my room, and uh, I prayed sometimes last week. We had some good conversation going on, and life is getting like really stressful right now. So I'm going to need you to go ahead and take care of this for me, okay? Just go ahead and take it out of my life. Uh, I don't want to walk through it. I know I could grow with that, but if you just take that out, because you remember I spent time with you. Or, hey, God, remember I tithed this month. I gave, you know, I gave part of my, my income. I gave it to you, and ooh. Now we have this financial hurdle and burden. So come on, hit me with it. Let's go. That's how this works, right? Let's make a deal, God. Or I've served you. I went to Parkway Serves. We went to 14 different places and we had a great time serving those people. And now I need somebody to serve me. So is that how it works, God? You know, kind of a little bargain going on here. God is a debtor to no one. And if he was, you wouldn't want him to give you what you deserve. Because the Bible teaches us that hey, the, the wages of the sin that have you imprisoned in disobedience, what you earn for that is it's death, it's eternal separation from him. 
Nobody wants what they deserve from God. Nobody wants to be in that debt for him. Here Paul says, no one is given to God that he should pay him back. And it goes the other way too. There's nothing you can give him to earn his grace, to earn his mercy, to earn his love or forgiveness. It's all given freely. It's all an overflow of his glory. It's all there to experience. And then the last verse here, verse 36. We're going to go word by word in this one. You think I'm kidding. The worst word is for. We're stopping right there. Because that word simply means it means because or since. So before we even launch into what he's about to say, we've got to remember what he's already said. He said that, hey, heads up, you're locked down in your disobedience. You're imprisoned by your disobedience. But this great God full of glory is merciful. And he wants to give his mercy to everyone. And you don't understand his wisdom. You don't understand his riches, his unsearchable, uh, indescribable, unthinkable, untraceable in his wisdom, knowledge, in his thoughts. And heads up, he doesn't owe you anything. So because of all of that, he says, for everything. That little Greek word, it means everything. It means all. Each, every, all, any, the whole, everyone, all things. As my friend from the office would say, every of the things. Everything. For everything. That means every sunset you see, every sunrise you experience, every baby's cry that comes across your eardrums. Everything you experience for everything is from him. There's not a thing in the world that you see or experience. It's not from him. It's an awesome thing to think. That everything flows from him. Out of him. He's the creator and it's done all for his glory. For everything comes from him and exists by his power. Other translations say that everything is from him and through him. In the, in the early service today, we, we sang that you're worthy, God. Father, creator, you are worthy. Savior, sustainer. Everything is from him as creator. Everything is through him as our sustainer. Paul echoed this when he said, And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That everything that you need to navigate this life for God's glory with a bigger perspective of who he is, he'll give you the power to do it. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And Jesus told those first few men that followed him with their lives that, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God is not going to ask you to do something that he's not going to supply the power to do. Everything is from him. Everything is through him. And everything is intended for his glory. Some translations simply say everything is from him, through him, and for him. We walk through a a sermon series with our students called For the Plains where we tried to help them 
grasp that, that we're not here for ourselves. And we're 100% here for what God wants to do through us in this community. And so to be for the plains means that we're in favor of the people that God has surrounded us with because God has shown his unconditional love to them. And the way that we do that is, is that we, we try to love them and, and, and to uh, let them know that they were made by him and that they have, that God has been sustaining them and he's preparing a place for them and he has plans for them and he died for them and he rose for them and he wants to reunite with them in heaven. And so that's what it looks like to, to live a life that's for others. But here it says that everything is for God. So what would it look like if we decided to live our lives in awe of him and to love God and pursue God and surrender to God and sacrifice for God, to share God wherever we go, to live for God all the rest of the days of our lives and if necessary, to die for God. For everything comes from him and exists, for his power, exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And that little word amen there, it simply means that I agree. For it is right. Let it be so. Yes, Lord. So I'm going to read that last verse again. And if that's what you believe today, that that's you're in agreement with what it says, I'd love to hear you say a good amen. Paul said, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. Amen, absolutely. So what do we do with this expanded vision of of who God is and this expanded thought that we exist for his glory and his glory alone. How does this work out in, in our everyday lives? We put God's glory at the center of our story. It's that simple. We put God's glory at the center of our story. Everything that we do as an individual, we ask the question, does this glorify God? Does this reflect his glory? Does this reflect the image of the God that created me? And we try to make those decisions based on that. In our families, what does that look like to see this expanded vision of God? It's just a, that our conversations about God can't happen only on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. We're trying to, to teach an everyday faith to our students. So that every single day there's something taught to them, something shared with them, a conversation had with them about who God is and what he has promised and what he wants to do in their lives for his glory. Now, we don't just go, hey, good luck. Let's pray. All right. We want to come alongside you. We want to provide resources for you to be able to have these conversations in your family. In student ministry, what we've begun doing is in our sermon series, every message that we speak on Wednesday night has a version Bible plan that goes along with it so that students every single day can walk through that version plan and have conversations with God about what we talked about in the message on Wednesday night. We've been sending emails out to our parents that, that supply them with four different questions that they can have in the morning, uh, at the dinner table, driving back and forth wherever they go, and at night at bedtime. Just 
simple questions to have the conversation about what is God doing in your life today? You may be sitting here going, well, you know, that season of life is past us. I don't have students anymore. So what do, what do we do? Oh, I got something for you as well. Because right down that hallway right there, there's infants, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, classrooms full. And they're looking for adults that will show up on a consistent basis to share God's word with children echoing the same thing that their parents are trying to teach them at home, reinforcing those things, saying it in a different way so when they don't hear it at home, they hear it at, at church, to come alongside the parent and hand in hand walk that student to a place where they can surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, all for the glory of God. So let's imagine just a second, what if we all chose to do that? What if we have attained this truth and we're going to live according to it. Man, it, first of all, it changed Parkway Baptist Church. I think it's already begun to change Parkway Baptist Church. I'm just going to tell you, families continue to show up every single week that are new to our community and new to our church. The children's ministry continues to grow. Youth ministry continues to grow. I, I would say that we're probably the smallest we're ever going to be for the next season of life because God is blessing us with new people to come and walk through these doors. Imagine if we decided that we're going to just do whatever it takes to teach the next generation that what matters most is God's glory and I will leverage my life for it. I will give my life to it. I will do whatever's necessary to make sure that they understand it. But it wouldn't just change Parkway. It'll change this community around us, the Auburn-Opelika area. I believe it'll change the world because we're sending students out every single year to universities all across this land. We're sending out students, college students that graduate that say, hey, I've surrendered my life to call to ministry. And they're gonna go all over this land, all over the world for the glory of God. So we'll start the same way we began. We began with it's the end of the world as we know it. If you know that song, he continues to repeat that three or four times. And he says, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. My encouragement to you today is that I hope that we will not go back to life as normal as a result of hearing the truth we've heard this morning. That that world has ended because God has expanded our vision for who he is and what he wants from our lives and how we can help the next generation to live out for what matters most. And it's gonna be okay. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we absolutely love you because you first loved us. And that love is just a reflection of who you are, God. It's not something that you send to us. It is who you are, God, is love. Father, we just, we pray that this morning that as we've heard from you, from your word, from Paul and from Isaiah, as you've inspired them to write down these things. God, I pray that you would help us to 
not just attain truth, but retain truth this morning and live it out. God, help us to put your glory at the center of our story so that others might see you through us, that others might be drawn to Jesus through us. God, if there's anyone in the room today, God, I pray that, that they're, if they're locked in, they're in prison by their sin, there's hope. God wants to show mercy to them. God, you wanna show mercy to them today through your one and only son. God, we love you and we thank you and we can't, we can't do anything worthy of what you give us. But God, we thank you that you use us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.